have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to three places uh, this morning. We're going to go Psalm 107, uh, which we will spend a bulk of our time on. Uh, And then we're going to go briefly to 2 Chronicles 36. uh, And then we're going to go Ephesians 4 uh, toward the very end. And if you say, hey man, I can only do two places in the Bible today. Uh, Just skip the 2 Chronicles part. Um, Because I doubt you could find it anyways, chicken. So, um, so here we go. For two weeks, this is where we've been. We've been walking through Psalm 107, which is essentially 42 verses explaining why the first verse should be put into practice in our life. Uh, it's, a, it's a call for the people of God to, to worship Him uh, because of what He has done, what He is doing, and what He promises to do. Uh, in, in firstly their lives, but by connection into our lives. And uh, in short, what the psalmist does in verse 1 is, is he comes to the table and he says, give thanks to God because he is good. And then we had to ask the question, well, why? Why is he good? And he says, well, he is good because he is the God whose love doesn't give up on us. That's, that's kind of our paraphrase. Uh, as we're approaching and walking through this entire psalm, because verse 2 encourages those who have experienced this, who have experienced the goodness of God in their lives, uh, to, to ultimately to say so. It says, let the redeemed say so. Uh, and so we say it both inside the church, we say it outside in our community, and we especially say it if you are a parent, you make this evident in your homes. And And so we are to join with the saints as we declare how God is, uh, how good he is and as he loves us and provides for us without fail and and in hopes to motivate us kind of towards this joining this song of praise, uh, the psalmist takes us to five places uh, that uh, where people are in a hard way. Uh, where they lose something, and they cry out to God, and He rescues and delivers and provides uh, for them. And and now, some of this is the result of their own sinfulness, and then some of this is just because of the the circumstances that are outside of their control. But either way, I think what we find are are people who lose something, and really the rhythm of this psalm is that they, they cry out to God, and He delivers them. And, and now as we were wrapping up uh, last week, I told you uh, what we're going to do is as we walk through kind of each case study here, uh, we're going to be able to build on why God is good and why God is deserving of praise. Because what he does for them, he does for us. And, and what I love about this psalm is that it doesn't really require much trust in the psalmist. Now, now we uh, in faith believe here at Merge that the Word of God is is living and it's active, and that it is our, um, our our greatest standard of authority. Like it is our truth, and and so we would trust this psalmist because we love Jesus here, uh, and because we love we trust God. And so, but but the psalmist doesn't say, "Hey, you just he doesn't say take my word for it," uh, because what he does is very quickly take a back seat, and he tells us to do something. Um, and although he tells us to do something, 
We don't know his heart outside that he wrote something that's found in the Bible. And so what he relies on, he says, okay, listen, I want to take you to these moments, these five moments where God's deliverance was an attempt to woo us towards trusting and towards worshiping our Heavenly Father. And, and, and last week we were, I think some of us prayerfully were very much found as, as we walked with wanderers in desert wastes. Uh, as they cry out to the Lord and as he delivers them and as he leads them straight to a city uh, to dwell in. And, and we started building on these truths which we can hold close to our hearts and how his steadfast love endures forever while God is good because, and we said this last week at the end of our time, that, that he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he he fills with good things. And this morning we're going to walk together through another season or, or circumstance of another group of people. And, and I've said there's a good chance you're going to be exposed really in, in one or a few of these case studies. Uh, and my concern, I should say, is that, is that you would be so defensive to the point that you would miss the, the thrust of this song. Um, that, that these words are in part a warning, uh, but more than that, they, they speak of the great care of our Heavenly Father and how attentive He is to us. And so, so we don't have to, to run away from these words this morning. We can acknowledge where we are and we can better understand really where we, where we can be uh, and what's available to us. Okay, does that, does that sound fair? All right, let's, let's pray and then we'll go one at a time. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning that it is true, that we can lean into it, and as we do so, we can find refuge. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak over these next few minutes, that he would, he would comfort us in these moments where we want to build defenses and we want to make excuses. I pray since you are always honest with us, that over these next few minutes, we can be honest with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, so this, this section, I'm going to warn you, is going to take us to a difficult place, which was the result of, of uh, some dangerous choices I believe we can experience in our own hearts. Uh, and I think, honestly, we can experience as a result of things going on in our nation. Uh, as, as a society. Now, if you'll remember, uh, I told you a couple weeks ago, there's a historical lane uh, for Psalm 107 uh, in the sense that it describes the Israelites as they were held captive uh, in Babylon. And, and as you travel through the Old Testament, what you see is this pattern emerge when it comes to really the, the highs and, and the lows of the entire nation. Uh, so, so what happens is God enters into covenant because he is a covenant-making, he is a covenant-keeping God. He enters into covenant with his people, and he simply gives them this instruction. He says, he says as your heart is directed toward me um, in my ways, you will live in the protection and, uh, of, of my blessing. You will do that. Now, if your heart turns inward or turns toward idolatry, uh, I will turn my face from you and I will simply allow you to experience the outcome of attempting to do life apart from me. 
That's, that's the honest agreement that God makes with the Israelites. That's the honest agreement he makes with us. Now, if you say, well, that sounds like Old Testament talk. Just go live some point this week into Romans chapter 1 as Paul is explaining to the Gentiles, this is what God does with us. His desire is to walk with us, to protect us, to provide for us. But he also says, I have a standard of holiness. Okay, And we're going to see this kind of played out in these verses. And so, so he says, as you turn your heart towards me, you'll experience a different kind of living as opposed to if you turn your heart away from me. And so, but the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament is this cycle of, of loving God holy and then loving the world holy, then experiencing the consequences of those choices. And eventually they cry out to God for deliverance. And then he is faithful and he's willing and he rescues and he restores his people. And now this is in part what we talk about as we are being encouraged to give thanks to God for his goodness. And so, so let's see how this plays out this morning. And we're going to start in, in verse 10. It says this, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Okay, so, so immediately I told you this is going to take us to a hard place. Because this is a painful description, really just of life, right? Darkness, death, affliction, and bondage, right? Uh, these are typically words we want to avoid when someone says, Hey, honey, how was your day? Right? You don't, you don't want to lead with those four words. In fact, you, you, if you have those four words, you typically don't want to talk to anybody about anything. And so, so there are moments that, that we all face that, that feel like this. Right. So and and though there's a tendency inside each of us uh, to compete on who has it harder. Right. Isn't that when we're in a hard season uh, and we run up against a person who has a who is also in a hard season? We're like, oh, well, I'm sure your story is cute. But let me tell you about how bad my story is. Right. Uh, and though there's this tendency inside all of us to want to compete about who has it harder, I think we can very honestly come this morning to the word and we can find some common ground on the feelings associated in painful moments or, or painful seasons of life. And, and I say season because um, the people described here are sitting as prisoners with no hope and they're shackled. And what typically follows when, when a person is experiencing suffering related to verse 10 is, is a very honest, gut-wrenching question. Why would God let this happen to me? Have you, have you ever muttered or screamed those words? If you have, you're, you're not alone. You join with the saints, both of today and of old, as they ask God what. And I think, I think even people who don't really even claim an allegiance or, or claim to have a relationship with God in their most desperate moments will wonder if he is real. Uh, and, then, and then they'll wonder why he isn't holding back all this hell that's breaking loose in my life. And so the Bible will give us a, a ton of reasons um, why suffering is present in our lives. And, and, and I believe, I firmly believe this. That, that all suffering ultimately finds its purpose in the glory of God. 
uh, that, that all suffering, that no suffering is wasted under the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father. But, but I can also admit that there are times that the Holy Spirit has reminded me of this and I stick out my tongue at them uh, or other things that I'm not proud of doing, you know, um, uh, in, in frustration and in pain and in desperation. And, and, and I, th- I praise God that he's big enough to deal with my tantrums um, and that he's willing to love me through all of that. So, but however, this situation, we're going to find the reason why. We're going we're gonna to better understand why are these people in this state? Why are they sitting in the darkness? Why are they in the shadow of death? Why are they in prison? Why are they afflicted? Why are they in bondage? And, and I think this could serve uh, really as a warning for us about the footsteps of our lives and the actions of our hearts. And this is where we pick it up, verse 11. It says, for they, okay, so these people are in this spot, for they had rebelled against the words of God, and they had spurned the counsel of the Most High, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. With none to help. Now, historically, we can connect this to, to Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 15. I'll just kind of read it to you. There won't be a lot of need for commentary. It says, The Lord, talking to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And so so here's something important to keep in mind. That the result of verse 16 comes after many and after long warnings about the fact, the fact that the Israelites had broken covenant with God. That's what happened. They're in a season of life where they broke covenant with God and, and God sends them these messengers to warn them. And so, so, but it's, it's important that we would understand this isn't a parent whose kids are walking around the house on eggshells, right? This isn't a parent um, whose fuse is short and the outcome is explosive. That's, that's not the God of the Old Testament. Now, now I think there are some who've grown up in the church, and perhaps if you were like me, that's the idea that you had. You had this very short-tempered, angry God of the Old Testament, and then all of a sudden, he turns into this, you know, just super loving, ah, uh, shucks, whatever's going on, God in the New Testament. And that's not the case. Okay? God is very patient. Um, he's a patient parent who is long-suffering, and at times, he pleads very clearly with his children, and he tells them, hey, you need to repent. Your heart needs to turn back to me because it's turned into empty places. And while he does that, he has to hold his ground and that holiness can't be watered down. Can't, regardless if the children are in the back seat kicking and screaming. That's not the way it works. So God sends these messengers, and he sends specifically uh, a prophet named Jeremiah. And you can spend some time, because it's very, God is very open 
through Jeremiah about what is about to happen in the lives of the Israelite. And he sends these messengers to warn about the road they're on. And he'll tell them how long they're going to be in a bad way. And even how he's going to return to them at the end of that time. But as he's doing that, the Israelites continue to despise the word of God. And they continue to mock the warnings until he does what any good parent does. And he brings discipline to his children. Now, if you're a kid and you're in the room today, you're like, no, that's not what good parents do. But if you're a parent, you, I think, can appreciate and understand that at some point, that's the avenue. So, so again, what's, what's described next seems severe, but it must not be viewed as heartless. This is, this is the result of God removing his covering of protection because the Israelites were so sure that they could do life apart from him. So it says in verse 17, Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. And he gave them all into his hands and and all the vessels of the house of God great and small in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the, the treasures of the king and of this his princes and, and, and all and all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God. And they broke down the wall of Jerusalem. And they burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed its precious vessels. He took into exile into Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days it lay desolate. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now, here's the thing. Is this severe? Yes. Is this painful? Absolutely. Is this unfair? I don't think so. That there was agreement forged through covenant. That God initiated the relationship and he sets the terms. And, and I, I was having lunch with a pastor buddy the other day and, and we were talking about the kingdom of God. And he said, he said you know, one thing that, that the modern church tends to forget is that if we're going to live in the kingdom of God, then we live under the protection of the king, which means that the king gets to set the terms, not the, not the citizens. Okay? And I get, we don't like that idea because, because secretly we all want to be kings. We all want to be queens and we all want to be kingdom owners and we want to be able to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. And this is exactly the problem because God says, in your best effort, you will always turn inward. And you will always turn toward the idolatry of your own heart. He says, but when you're in my kingdom... You get my protection, and you get my provision, and you get lavished with my love. And so we, we tend to think that he should bend knee to our expectations and our wavering philosophies, but if that was the case, we would be God, and then we would all be in trouble, because I've seen your Facebook accounts, and some of you are really are crazy. Like, there's no, there's no nice way to say it. You're just crazy. So I, I don't... I don't know if you've been in a space 
like this. I would assume you can probably at the very least feel loosely connected to it, if not fully, that you perhaps you've heard God call you toward holiness and yet you choose to live contrary to it. And, and, and you may even be outright defiant against his ways, but there, there's going to be a moment when the darkness and the despair and the affliction and the bondage will lead you to a place. Ultimately, it's going to lead you to a choice. And so much like last week, we're, we're going to see this over the next, even all the way through the, throughout this whole lesson, uh, this whole series, I should say, you're going to see the word then. And there's going to be a then moment for these people who are sitting in the darkness. And now, sadly for, for some, when they, read, when they get to their then moment, the story of their life that kind of plays out is, is then they stayed in their bondage, not able to rescue themselves. Because that's the issue. You can't rescue yourself when you are afflicted and in bondage. But for these people, they're going to make a different choice and a, and a praiseworthy choice. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, comma, right? We said last week, you don't have to be afraid with God on what, what's on the other side of that comma. Because what happens is, and he delivered them from their distress. Even though, even though they were guilty, right? Even though they were covenant breakers, on the other side of that comma is this promise to restore and redeem from a loving and a loyal heavenly father. In fact, verse 14 tells us, he brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. So here's what's probably the most important thing for us to consider today, regardless if you are in Christ, not in Christ, wading into those waters. That, that, that anyone who rejects God's message, this is, this is the result of our audience this morning in Psalm 107. So anyone who rejects God's message, which for us is, is the offer of life in Christ, anyone who rejects that message is imprisoned in sin that leads to death. Right? So, so only Jesus can set him or her free. But, but God is not silent about what is required for rescue and restoration. He's not. He's very open about it. It starts with confessing that we are sinners, not mockers. It then leads to acceptance that Jesus is more than enough because God has said in his word that he's more than enough. Then, then we go to repentance, which is this willingness to walk with God and to live in his kingdom. And then lastly, it's, it's this, this thing we call sanctification. It's this, this growing up in Jesus. And it's this pursuing of the Father's heart as he lavishes us and he leads us in holiness. It says that, that he brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. And God has been doing this from the time of the Israelites to the Old Testament to this very room in this very moment. Right? Last week, last week he led them out of desert waste. This week he brings them out of the darkness, which is just simply over the next five weeks we're going to see that he provides whatever we need. So I think, I think a hard question, I don't know if you've been exploring this one, but I know I have as I've been spending time in this psalm, and specifically this week in this section, is, is, is why does God bring discipline or allow the consequences of our actions before he liberates us, right? 
Because if you ever wanted to walk into the throne room of God and say, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, but I think there's an easier way. So why? Why would he bring discipline before he brings liberation? And, and I believe the answer is because true freedom, as strangely as this sounds, is about dependence. And it's about relationship. And this, this, it's about this patient process that he's willing to take so that we can see how good he is. And we can say yes to him more and more frequently in every situation and in every circumstance. So now we get to verse 15. And it's a verse we saw last week um, as the psalmist kind of snaps us back into this call of worship and he brings us to a response that these people were sitting in darkness and despair, afflicted and in bondage. And, and these people who have been set free and shown the light, the psalmist will say, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bar, the bars, not barns, the bars of, of iron. And so we're left with a response, right? We give thanks for his steadfast love for the wondrous works that we get to experience because verse 9 says he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And then today in verse 16, he destroys the barrier and he breaks the chains. Okay? That, that's, that's my paraphrase. All right? And because I have the mic, that's what we get to use the next couple of weeks. That, that he destroys the barrier and he breaks the chains. And so you realize that, that when he breaks the chains, you don't have to live in bondage anymore. And so, so what, do we, what do we do with that? What do we do? Now, I know, I know I've been a bit long here, um, but I, I want to wrap up in a similar way we did a few weeks ago. In fact, Swan, we can start wrapping this up. Um, a few weeks ago, I drew your attention to Romans 8, and I just said, hey, I'm just going to read you this whole thing, and then I'm going to give it to you as homework, right? Uh, and I pray that you spent some time a couple weeks ago in Romans 8, because it is a wealth of praiseworthy verses. But this week, I want to encourage you to do some homework by, by, by spending some time in Ephesians chapter 4, specifically verses 17 through 32. And, and the wealth of the application through these verses, um, uh, I, I will try to stay out of the way and not commentate each one. However, I find these words very fitting for how we apply Psalm 107 this morning, because Paul is writing to the Ephesians, uh, and, and the overall theme of his letter is simply this, um, that, that you're not who you used to be because of Jesus. You're not. Everything changes when Jesus comes into your life. And so he talks about your outlook on life changes, your ability to walk through difficult seasons of life, your name changes, all in the name of Jesus. And in this section, he's going to encourage us to always remember the love of God expressed fully in Jesus and to not return to the old ways. This would be like being set free and then saying, you know, I think I'm going to go back to prison and I'm going to put these old shackles back on me. And so he's going to point out those who have been saved by grace through faith have a different way of living and we'll start in verse 17. It says, Now this I say, 
and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Do you see any similarities here from Psalm 107? Right, the result of these people sitting in darkness. He says in verse 20, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says to those of us who have been redeemed, don't go back to the prison cell. You don't live there anymore. And now the problem with our prison cell is that we be, we were there for such a long time that it's for some of us that's all we know. And it's all that we we we, we know what's certain in that space. Paul says don't go back there. Don't sit in darkness again because all it can bring you all, guys, all it can bring you is despair, affliction, and bondage. None of those things we want. He said instead, and I love it, I love it when the, when the Bible says, hey, instead, let's do this. Instead, put on the new self, which is not accessorized by shackles. It's not so, so you can live in the light, so live in the light. And in case you're wondering what are some of these ways of living are, he's going to give us some examples. He'll say, he'll say, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief not no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let it be put away from you, along with all malice. I love, I love verse 32. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Be, be kind to one another. If there was ever a time for the church of God to rise up and show kindness, it's now. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. And then he says, why? As God in Christ forgave you. We never leave that, right? We never leave the brilliance and the beauty and the majesty 
you see in the power of God to forgive us in Jesus. So we come back to the everlasting love of God, which sets us free. We are forgiven by God in Jesus. He destroys the barrier and he breaks the chains. So what happens is when you lose your freedom, he is your freedom. That's what it means. That he is your freedom. That we're no longer held because of our sin. We're we're no longer held accountable because of our sin if we're in Jesus. So my prayer is that for some of you, if you've sat in the darkness and God brought you out of that light, that you would simply acknowledge that and you would join with the psalmist as he says, give thanks to God for he is good. And then if you're here and you're like, I am in that, I pray today would be your day of liberation. We would love to walk with you. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we're going to give you an opportunity here today. There'll be some people over here on this side of the room who long to pray with you. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you care for us, that you walk with us. We thank you for your discipline and your unwillingness to water down your holiness. These are the things that make you good. These are the things that make you worthy of praise. So Father, I pray that those of us in this room who have been set free, that they would shout it. In Jesus' name.